It is a joy to be here representing the New Orleans Saints this morning. <laughs> Listen, I have deep respect, uh, first of all, because of your starting quarterback, I have deep respect for your team. And you have to love any city that, that at least has a video that you can watch of a Super Bowl that your team did win, unlike the Eagles where all you watch is conference championships that they always lose. And so it must be nice to at least have a video when like loser teams are in the Super Bowl to refer back to, as I understand. Uh, is this right? How many of you actually had a party this January, February, even though the Saints weren't playing, but just to rewatch the video of the year before? I mean, that's, that's dedication. And I understand that because in my world of ice hockey, we rewatched the 1975, that's how long it's been. <laughs> Philadelphia Flyers Stanley Cup win, and you will be getting a Flyers jersey, my friend, and you will preach in that jersey <laughs> in Orlando, which won't have much bearing in Orlando, but, uh, but for my soul's sake, we will do that. Well, what a delight uh, to be here with all of you. Melissa and I, whom Keith alluded to, what a joy for me. It's unusual. I get to be accompanied by my wife, but Melissa, would you slip your hand up for the ladies who weren't there yesterday? It is so good to have her here. That's unusual. Uh, our kids are having a great time, all four of them, back with friends uh, in Orlando, but we have, Melissa and I have been so well received uh, by all of you whom we've met thus far. We were commenting last night when we got back to the hotel that uh, it reminds us of a similar church visit we had when we began serving in the Northeast region. Uh, when we got out to one of the churches, just the intentionality and care. And we, we really do receive that in each church, but some just seem to, well, you get jerseys in some churches, and some, <laughs> some don't do that. Uh, and so we have been uh, so thoroughly blessed. And as Keith already mentioned, yes, we did move uh, December 1st from the suburbs of Philadelphia to Orlando. Uh, we, Melissa and I, met in college at a school called Westchester University, about 25 miles west of downtown Philadelphia. And we began going to Covenant Fellowship uh, sort of together, but also independently prior to marriage. And we got married in 1996, so we're coming up on 15 years. And we, uh, thank you. Uh, was that a clap or was that a pen clicking? What was that? <laughs> like, it was a little, thank you. Uh, and so uh, Pennsylvania's really been the only world we have known, but uh, we, we do believe we are where God wants us to be, uh, and God is meeting us with much mercy and grace. And uh, I have to tell you, uh, just referring to Keith and Gina, I was going through the Rolodex last night. I don't think I have seen any other pastor and wives uh, master bedroom closet outside of Gina and Keith. And like, I, how hospitable is that? They, I mean, not just welcoming you into their home, but like, here's our walk-in closet. And so that was so cool, Gina, <laughs> that you showed us that. I mean, she insisted that we go back there and see that closet. So I hope you all have a chance to see that closet as well. <laughs> right back at you. And I'm sorry, your husband did this, so it's, well... So much in my heart to say, but let me say one thing, referencing uh, what Peter shared and piggybacking off of uh, what Keith mentioned. Uh, yeah, my role is, is uh, to serve as part of the pastoral team at Metro Life Church, but also hopefully to provide a, a means of care and support to the churches within the family of Sovereign Grace Ministries. And 
being at Metro Life Church, one of the desires there, not only in my heart, but the whole church, is to discover ways we can meaningfully partner with the churches in the southeastern United States that are a part of our family of churches. So, so here's, here's the deal uh, this morning, and I'll inform them. We're not going to be bashful either, Peter, so I'll, I'll let them know when I get back later tonight. But listen, uh, 3,000 is the difference, Right? If, if you can come up with 1,500 today, and Peter tells me that before I fly out, we will send the $1,500 difference to partner with you in buying that machine. So if you can do that, we'll do the rest, and we would, we would be honored to do that. In fact, we just took an offering two weeks ago for that very purpose. At Metro Life Church, the church just gave $75,000 not to stay in Orlando, but to go out as opportunities come. And, and a lot of that uh, we've already been able to assign to various things from, from students in Bolivia coming to the Pastors College in Gaithersburg who have no money to do that, uh, to help fund a position for someone, a whole family actually, to transfer out of the United States into another country to serve a church there. And uh, what a thought that we could partner in this small but very meaningful way. Uh, with all of you as well. So we would love to, and you know what, we'll send it either way, but it'd be cool if uh, you come up with the difference. Well, with all of that, would you please turn to Zephaniah chapter 3. As this morning, uh, I know you've, you've really been on a sort of a hiatus from your First Peter series, and that hiatus continues this morning, but I do I do trust uh, that, you know, we, we come together and we open up God's Word, not randomly, but by design. And so I believe it is God's intentions that we hear from Him specifically through these living and active verses of Zephaniah this morning. Would you read with me? And then let's pray. Zephaniah 3, verse 14, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem, for the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak, for the Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. And verse 18, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. The title this morning is simply this, Our God Rejoices Over Us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this privilege to be gathered together with the saints here in New Orleans. Lord, to be together with this portion of your remnant that is in this city. Lord, what a joy this weekend has been. But Lord, now we come and we turn our attention to your word and we pray that it would be you that we hear from. For Lord, whoever's voice is going forth is merely a broken clay vessel 
to speak your words that you have spoken. And so we pray, accompanied with your Holy Spirit, your word indeed would go out as the living and active word this morning. Lord, you and you alone by your Spirit know how to minister. No minister knows how to minister. You know how to minister. And so come, Holy Spirit, and breathe life into these words, into hearts in the most specific, deepest, nearest way possible, we pray this morning. Lord, I really, I know next to no one here, but you intimately know everyone. You know how many hairs fell from heads in this room this morning. You know. So draw near, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I mentioned we're coming up on 15 years of marriage. June 29th is our actual anniversary, and therefore, June 29th of 1996 was, well, it was an exhilarating day, and it was a fearful day all at the same time. Uh, the exhilarating part was, yes, that we were getting married. The fearful part of the day was that during the ceremony, Melissa and I were going to sing a duet together. That was her request uh, in our engagement, and apparently in a request that was not informed by ever having heard me sing, because had she, I don't think she would have made that request. Now, Melissa, you need to know, was a music major, a piano performance major, who also happens to have an amazing, lovely voice, and so it was entirely appropriate for her to do a solo that day. So I should have sat down, and she could have held my hand, and she could have sung to me, but she wanted us to sing back and forth together. And if you were there that day, I don't think, other than Melissa, I don't think any of you were there, but if you were, I'm sorry. That's all, that's all that I can say. There were two people at that wedding that told me I sounded good, and that was my mother and my grandmother, and nobody else. <laughs> and you have to know, if they're the only two, you have gotten the least objective people in the room. In fact, the pastor who presided over, over the wedding, he, he, he called it gutsy. Yeah, again, not, not exactly what you're wanting to hear. It should have been a solo, but she wanted us to do this together. Why? Why a song? What, what is it about singing? What is it about music that seems to have this power to convey something more deeply than, than something written alone? accomplishes at times. I mean, one of my, actually I'm reading a book right now called Newton's Letters. It's actually called Wise Counsel. The subtitle is Newton's Letters, John Newton, his letters to another pastor. As I read them, I was mean, just affected by the emotion and, and the, the compassion and all that comes out of this. And yet, for all that letters do, singing seems to elevate further. I mean, we don't have celebrity letter writers, do we? I mean, I don't know of a show, maybe it's out there on some cable network, but I'm not aware of a show where it's a competition to see who writes the best. But there's all kinds, all manner of programs for who sings the best. Well, there does indeed seem to be something there. And I think simply put, while a letter or a card, it, it certainly captures a lot, it seems it takes a song to truly feel and experience the strength and the depth of whatever the truth is being conveyed. Singing emotes in a way the pen alone cannot. Well, that's exactly what we find here in Zephaniah, that 
that in the heart of God, He's not only recording something, so to say, through the scribe's hand, He's actually going to sing it. He's going to sing it loud. And the picture we get here of this, or a summary or propositional statement, if you will, of these few verses, I think would be this, the Lord rejoices over us with gladness and loud singing. Now, if I asked you to raise your hand in response to this question, and the question was this, do you know or did you know that God is a rejoicer? I imagine if we did a show of hands, perhaps most, if not all of you, would raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you're a believer in Christ and you've been reading His Word, you've stumbled upon that, and so, yeah, yeah, I imagine we'd put our hand up indicating that we know that. Do you know that God is a rejoicer? But if I ask for a show of hands to this question, how many of us here gathered this morning live consciously aware and in the good of this, God rejoices over you and you and you and you and you and you personally by name. He delights to exalt over you and you and you and you with loud singing. If I asked it that way, which I kind of did just ask, would as many hands go up as confidently? I have a suspicion without knowing you that I do know you to some degree because I know myself. And that is there might be a little bit of hesitation, a little bit of reluctance. In fact, there might even be the thought that that's pretty presumptuous to put our hand up to that. I think far fewer hands would go up. I think there'd be nervous hesitation because if we're honest, I think most of us tend to be far more aware of our unloveliness than being loved, right? Most of us, I think, tend to live with a sense of how far we still have to go instead of living in the good of already being completely accepted. Maybe it's just this simple. You know, I know God's a rejoicer. I can raise my hand to that. But personally, individually, I feel like I fail or grieve God far too often, maybe to even have the right to raise my hand to the question, do you know God rejoices over you personally, intimately? Now listen, I want you to consider, please, consider what you think is the most unlovely thing about your character right now. Just one thing. Not all the unlovely things. One thing. You know, that, that area where you feel like you're making little to no progress. Maybe even lately you feel like you're going backwards in that regard. I want you to think about that thing where you would say, I'm making no or, or, or no discernible, at least, progress in my walk with the Lord in this way. That, you know, that particular manifestation of sin that seems so stubborn, like it's going to dog you for life, almost immovable. Do you have that one, just one, in view? Do you have it? Now listen, 
with that in view, the Lord rejoices over you with gladness and loud singing. There's no such things, friends, as reluctant rejoicing. He rejoices over you with gladness and loud singing. Now, why do I say that? Well, because Zephaniah says that. Let's look at the background and context to see what is being said here and how astounding it becomes in the context of where it is being said. Zephaniah was a prophet during the time of King Josiah of Judah. And if you know your kings of Judah and Israel, Josiah was one of the very few bright lights among the kings. He found the lost book of the law in the temple And upon reading it, he sought the Lord, and he tried to reform the people of Israel, who by this time were steeped in idolatry and had drifted far from God. Of course they had. No one's in the book of the law, though God had commanded that that be daily. They weren't. King Josiah got back to that. And Zephaniah the prophet was alongside of King Josiah, and he sought to call Judah and Jerusalem along with King Josiah back to God. In fact, his prophetic call is found a little earlier in this book, in Zephaniah 2, verse 3, where we read, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his command. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Sadly, Judah and Jerusalem as a whole did not listen to that prophetic call, and it would only be about 20 years after Josiah's time. As king, when the Babylonians would come in and sack Jerusalem and take them off and into captivity. But here in chapter 3 is a promise from God, is a song from God for those who did listen. For God is faithful and he always has a remnant. And this is for that remnant. Now, you and I here reading this today, we've got a far greater understanding of just how staggering this passage is because ultimately, the loudest singing from God we hear comes through the gospel of His Son. There's no louder song than that song of Jesus giving up His life for us so that we could draw near to God, amen? So we, we've got this in a fuller way than even Zephaniah could have fully realized that day, but it's a gospel sighting, if you will, here in the Old Testament. This this song we can hear because of the gospel, because of Jesus today. And and, and in this song, it's like we get this picture that that the Lord rejoices over us, rejoices over the humble of the land because He's glad to. He delights to. He wants to. And this is what I believe this is preserved for, that we would live in the good of and in the embrace of. Because from the heart of God, it was not enough, if you will, to picture that judge's chamber where, where the guilty come in and the judge just says, you're acquitted. Or, okay, this man over here will pay what you owe. You're acquitted, now get out of my sight. No, no. You know the picture the gospel gives to us. You know that in a human court of law, it's possible, in fact, it's normal when someone is, is declared innocent or acquitted to, to receive that declaration but still have no closeness to the judge. In fact, as soon as the case is over, that, that guilty person gone free goes that way and the judge goes this way and never do the two meet. But with our God, 
through the gospel of His Son. That is not at all what we've received. Our God, upon declaring us righteous through the perfect sacrifice of His Son, says, I'm taking my robe off, I'm coming down out of my judge seat, and I'm coming to embrace you. That's what we've been given in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Father is just that. Our Father, no longer a judge. He's come off the bench, if you will. And right in the courtroom where we were declared forgiven, the Father starts singing and celebrating and throwing a party with lots of loud singing. That's the picture. That's the reality we're to get here. We, personally, not just just broadly, personally, we're to get here from Zephaniah. Here's the question that runs through my soul. Why? Why does God rejoice and exult over us? Why is God glad to sing with loud singing? I want to give you two reasons. More importantly, I think they're from the text. The first is this. Why does God rejoice and exult over us? Here's the first. God rejoices over us because of who He is, not who we were or are. It's because of who He is. What is most astounding here in all of this is the kind of condition the people are in when God makes His declaration that He's going to rejoice over His people because He's saying this to a people who have turned from Him. And it's important to understand contextually that before the song comes in Zephaniah 3, this is actually a book of judgment. It is a book of judgment against a wayward people, but right in the midst of that is this call, this promise, this certain hope for those who would listen. And in the midst of that, we see that God Himself is the initiator all the way through. He is the initiator, the heart changer, the redeemer. Just a few verses earlier in Zephaniah 3, verse 9, look at it with me. It says this, for at that time... I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. you see that? I mean, even the remnant's ability to change their speech back to a speech of seeking God is made possible by God. He's the one who does it. He initiates that change in their hearts. In verse 15, we're told, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you, Again, it's God doing the initiating. In verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He does the saving. He does the removing of judgment. He does the changing of hearts that enables a people to call out to him. God does everything good for us to position us who respond to hear him sing. It's all about who God is. And you know, If you follow the storyline of Scripture, isn't that the storyline of Scripture? It's always God and His initiative towards a wayward people. Think of Psalm 103 with me. You familiar with these verses? You could probably say them with me. The Lord, the Lord, the God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You know that passage from Psalm 103, verse 8? Did you know that's not the first time that's recorded in Scripture? Did you know it comes a little earlier? Do you know where it comes? 
in the book of Exodus. Do you know where it falls in the book of Exodus? When Israel was at their best, worshiping God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength? No. No, not even close. Right after the golden calf. After Moses went down and saw what the people led by a guy named Aaron had done, And Moses came back on the mount. As Moses' anger was burning hot, this is what God said. As he put Moses in the cleft of the rock and passed by, he said, The Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious, slow, oh, so slow to anger, but oh so abounding in steadfast love. Israel, not steadfast. God, steadfast. Moses, quick to anger. God, oh so slow. So very slow to anger because he abounds in steadfast love. You see, On that day with Moses in the cleft of the rock, it was all about God. It was all about what, where in the heart of man we've gotten this idea that the Old Testament depicts God as a God of judgment and vengeance, I'll never understand. Oh, yes, he upholds his holiness. But the accent, the default, is abounding in steadfast love. Because he's oh so slow to anger. It's always God's initiative from Genesis straight through to Revelation. Always, always, always about who God is, not who we are. That's what it is, his rejoicing over us. And this whole rejoicing over us, you know we've been created for this. We've been created for a relationship like that. And even this unbelieving world understands that because it goes searching for someone to rejoice over them. I mean, you know, one of the most beautiful depictions as you watch a wedding day unfold is to to see the look in that young lady's face as that young man just, just fawns over her. That's really not all that bad. Because we've been created for a relationship like that. And that's the exact kind of relationship God promises for those who would receive it here in Zephaniah. God's heart for us is to sing over us and to sing loudly. Because he's not content to sing softly. He sings over us with volume. He gives, he gives lavishly. All because of who he is, not who we are. I mean, is that not what the gospel is to us, friends? What does Romans 5 verse 8 record for us? God shows his love for us in this, that when we got our act together, he died for us. Does your version read that way? Mine reads this way, that while I was still sinning, still in the act of singing, Christ died for me. Now, now that, that's alive for me, because even as I had the privilege to share my testimony last night, 
with a couple. That is my testimony. And I'll spare you the whole story, but simply put, I was in the act of burglary when I became a Christian. Yes, I was right in the middle. I wasn't finished. I hadn't completed it. I was in the act of burglary when God saved me. Oh my goodness, who was that about? Not me. And no matter what your conversion story is, it's probably not that one. No matter what it is, even if it was I grew up in the church in a Christian home, you're saved because God initiated. It's all about God. He didn't choose to rejoice over you because you're rejoicing worthy. No. It's all about who he is. In fact, you are no more worthy than me, a burglar. Not in the least. It's all about God. But that leads to the second and more developed thought here. He rejoices over us because of who he is, not who we are first. He rejoices over us secondly because his love is a benevolent love. God's love is a benevolent love. Ah, look at verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. In the midst of who? A wayward people. He didn't remove himself. A mighty one who will save He'll rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. And look at verse 18. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. What, he, what he's talking about there is it, it's that remnant of people that remembers the time when they would go to God's house with singing. David spoke of it in the songs. Oh, how I remember I remember how I used to lead the throng in procession. To what? To the festival. And they're mourning because they realize they've gotten so far from their ability to do that. He says, I'll, I'll gather. I'll gather you for that. You'll no longer suffer reproach. God's rejoicing over us is because his is a benevolent love. And this verse 17, it has a parallel in Isaiah 62, verse 5, where we read this. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And I love in the heart of God how he gives us these anthropomorphisms, these, these human analogies and pictures that we understand. And it's as though God is saying through his spirit, now how do I who am spirit help my people grasp, get their arms around my love for them? What shall I illustrate with? Oh, here's one, a wedding day. A wedding day. As a bridegroom rejoices over the bride. And guy, anybody engaged in the room right now? Anybody? Okay, awesome. Congratulations. Outstanding. The rest of you, get going here. There's only like two. Come on. <laughs> Guys, those two of you that just put your hands up, you, you do realize the wedding day is all about her and not you at all, right? <laughs> Nobody gets their tuxes pressed and put in a box and stored to give to their sons. It just doesn't happen, <laughs> all right? Your tux will be wrinkled in the back of a trunk before that day is through. But the bride's dress, oh, that's different. Dudes, 
Churches build these rooms over there for you to walk through, okay? You just come out and take your spot, but nobody's looking at you. I mean, I don't mean to insult you. It's just true. It's true. But she will come. And that, guys, isn't that how you want it? That's how it's to be. And everybody gets up when she comes. There's no song out there, There Comes the Groom. Or, you know, it's just, it's not, no, nobody wrote that song because nobody wants to sing that one. We're just there for her. It's always been that way. And so that's what God uses. How can I help my people get their hearts around my love and rejoicing over them? I'll describe it like a wedding day. And commenting, I love this commentary from the ESV Study Bible on that passage in Isaiah 62. It says the following, boldly drawing on a familiar human image of inexpressible joy and delight. God says his delight in his people will be like that of a bridegroom's delight in his bride. Isaiah explains that in God's great plan of salvation, he not only forgives his people, protects them, heals them, provides for them, restores them to their home, reconciles them to each other, transforms them so they're righteous, honors them, exalts them above all nations, makes them a blessing to all nations as he's called them to be. But more than all these things, he actually delights in his people. Would you say that word actually with me? Actually. I looked it up. Do you know what it means? Right. It means actually. And I think that word is there by design. The commentators understood something. If it just read, but he delights in his people, we would have missed it. The whole reason the word actually is there is to get our attention. Because if we're honest, we struggle with this, don't we? To be loved like this, to be loved unconditionally, to be loved through all our failures and sins, he Actually, it's to drive it home. We need to get that word. Actually. What's that sin thing you've got in view? He actually. Yes, really. Actually. Loves to sing with volume over you. And friends, angels long to look into this. They long to understand this. Actually delights, delights, not tolerates, delights in his people. He delights in us. I think we need that word actually because actually there's so little benevolent love around us. You notice that? I know it's, I mean, we're coming up on two years already, but, and there are countless new illustrations, but you recall as the story of Tiger Woods unfolded, how much malevolence our culture actually delights in. See, our culture does actually delight, but it's in malevolence instead of benevolence. There seems there's this sinful joy. Some delight in ill will and malice. Some smug self-righteousness in human hearts that just love to see the downfall of anyone who's doing any better than them in any way. There's this cultural, I mean, think about it. We've got TMZ.com. We've got magazines and such that make billions every year, all based in malevolence, all based in, I love it when you fail. You make me feel better. 
about me. Oh my, what if God treated his people like people sometimes treat people? What if God treated his people like his people sometimes treat his people? I don't need Tiger Woods and TMZ. I don't have to look beyond my own soul. How about you? But our God, he delights in benevolent love, where through compassion and kindness, God rejoices to lift up, not tear down. Through benevolent love, when we are at our lowest and our worst, God delights to protect and to exalt and to uphold, not to crush or curse. Think of those pictures in Isaiah. A, a, a smoldering wick, he will what? He will not snuff out. Oh my, is our culture eager to snuff out smoldering wicks. A bruised reed I shall not break. So think of that smoldering wick and the wind is blowing. Our God delights to put himself all around that and protect it from all elements that that wick cannot go out while it's getting restored. That broken, bruised reed that our culture would love to just come in and snap and then laugh and mock. Our God says, no, no, I'm going to stint that reed and I'm going to wrap it and I'm going to stay right with it until it's whole again. And then when it's whole again, I still will never leave or forsake. Because his love, friends, is a benevolent love. He does not look on our shabby state and mock. He looks and he protects. If you are at all like me, I could go on and on all day with this, but this is hard for some of us, isn't it? If we're honest, to, to be loved like this personally, specifically, and when you throw in our life story and experience and all the baggage that came with us through those doors, it could be very hard to grasp. So I think some of us come this morning more, more ready to believe and more easily believing the notion that, well, yeah, God accepts me begrudgingly because he's God, and he sort of made some sort of promise, so he, he tolerates, he accepts kind of because he's obligated to, rather than believe or even dare to believe. As I come through those doors this morning, God is eager that I would hear him sing over me with gladness and loud singing. You know, in light of who I was and who I sometimes still seem to be, how can we be loved like this? We wonder, how can God hate my sin and love me at the same time? Love me so much as to sing over me. How can he be pleased with a sinning Christian? And so I think we know people or we know ourselves enough to know it's easier to think of God accepting us begrudgingly rather than loving us benevolently. Friends, why does God rejoice to sing over us? You know why. It's all because of a substitute. It's all because of one whose name is Jesus, who gladly, freely, willingly took up every penalty we could have ever 
had placed upon us every sin we've ever committed and the just punishment that should have come upon that. He took it all gladly, willingly, freely, so that you and I could hear God sing. That's why. Reading recently about this, I stumbled upon the following and thought, oh God, help me get this. We must, and I think this is relevant for some of us this morning. There's a banishing that needs to take place in some of our hearts and minds this morning. We must banish from our minds forever, forever, any thought that God admits us begrudgingly into his kingdom, as though Christ found the loophole in the law, did some fancy plea bargaining, and squeaked us by the judge. No way. God himself, the judge, put Christ forward as our substitutionary sacrifice. And when we trust him, God welcomes us with bells on. He puts a ring on our finger, kills the fatted calf, throws a party, shouts a shout that shakes the ends of creation, and God himself leads in the festal dance. This is God's love for us this morning, friends. Do you know God this way? I don't mean do you have knowledge of God this way. Do you know God this way? If not, who is your God? Or if not, if you can't hear God singing over you today, well then on what day? Now listen, if you are here and you are not in Jesus Christ, I have a very simple explanation as to why you cannot hear God sing over you. Because you're not in Christ. And you only hear God sing over you when you humbly bow your knee and wholly lean on Jesus' name for the forgiveness of all your sins. When you stop trusting in or thinking your performance is enough to get God's song. No, you can't earn God's song. There's no amount of work you can ever do to get God to sing because your best works are shot through with sin. But through simply leaning on Jesus' name you can hear him sing. For those of us in Christ, though, if you don't hear God sing today, when will you hear him sing? What are you going to do? How many days of perfection are you going to string together? How many days of, of perfect performance will you need before God sings? How many, how many self-made laws will you need to create that thinks gets you more acceptable to God and merits his attention? Ah, oh, friends, we are sinful and flawed, but is not the declaration here from Zephaniah this, we are loved with an everlasting, immeasurable, incalculable, unsearchable love. We need do nothing but lean on Christ to hear this song. It's so hard to hear this song. And you know what? God knows that because he knows us. And that's why we read in verse 17. Look at, look at the order with me. He'll rejoice over you with gladness. Now some of us in our hearts, without even needing to get it out, can say, but I, I can't hear that song. God knows. And so what's the next part? He will quiet you by his love. So much noise, the noise of our own sin, the noise of our life story seeks to drown out the song. 
God knows that. And so he quiets our guilty, condemned hearts with his love so that we can then hear him sing. How like our God, friends, but how like us to keep on drifting back to a performance approach, thinking that's when we'll hear God sing. I know that life, the life of performance, you know, basically assessing how we're doing with God and how much we're going to hear God's pleasure over us based upon how we happen to be performing. I remember this on a uh, retreat I was on not so long ago, a personal planning retreat, and I was out taking a prayer walk, had great intentions. I was out on this beach up in Massachusetts, nobody else was there. It was May, which is still winter in Massachusetts if you've never been there. It's pretty much winter till July 4th, and it's winter again, Labor Day. (laughs) So on this May, winter's day, I was there, started to walk the beach, and I, I saw something that just triggered a flood of memories from my past. And what had started out in intention as a prayer walk turned into a condemnation walk. You ever been on one of those? You don't even actually have to literally walk, you know? You're just awake, and you could be on a condemnation walk. Well, I was on one. And in a quiet voice, I don't think it was audible, but clear enough, this is what I believe I heard. And and kind of this dialogue started, and it just went like this. Aaron, I know you. And I'm thinking... I know. I know you know me. And I don't like what you know about me right now. But it went on. I knew you then, referring to that past, and I know you now. And initially, this is not encouraging. You know what I'm talking about? On one of those condemnation walks, as you're you're growing in understanding of how much God knows us, that it's not particularly comforting at first, is it? (laughs) And so I'm not... (laughs) particularly encouraged at this point, but it went on. And it's though literally I was getting lower and lower. There's nothing, Aaron, about you I don't know. I know you like you don't know you. That too is never comforting. I mean, for all that we do know about ourselves that's pretty ugly, we don't even know the half of it. God knows it all. I know your every thought and desire. And then there was this pause as if, as if there was time for that to soak in. And it was soaking in. And it was painful. And then this is what I heard. And I love you. I love you. And friends, I went in an instant from a weight of condemnation to ecstasy in being loved by God. I was broken in the best sense of the word. God quieted me with his love so that I could hear him sing. And I was able to sing and shout and rejoice and exalt in my Father in heaven as I grasped a little more clearly, and I wish I could hold on to it every day, but I don't, and so I need Zephaniah again, so thanks for listening this morning. But that day I could hear. Listen, not all my prayer walks are like that, but I do know on the authority of his word that he intends that if you're in Christ this morning, you hear him sing. And if you can't, then he intends to quiet you by his love so that you can hear him sing. With what kind of love does God love you? 
this kind of love. He's taken away the judgments against you. He's cleared away your enemies, even your very self. Your hands weak, fear not. You have a mighty one who will save. This is God's love for you. And he expresses that love through rejoicing over you with gladness. Oh, friends, we've got to grasp this. And to live life in this cold world, we've got to grasp this more and more deeply. Let me ask as I move towards a close, what difference can this make? Just think about in our homes for a moment, where we live. I was in a conversation recently with a person where it became evident that how this person's parents had depicted God to them had a lasting, in some cases, negative impact. Uh, they were clear on all the blessings of their parents, but, but in their experience, warmth and acceptance were reserved. Warmth and acceptance were reserved for meeting standards. Firmness and displeasure were experienced when the standards weren't met. And again, they were clear to communicate the wonderful qualities of their parents, but they were also confessing their struggle to understand God this way because the anthropomorphisms, their parents, the way God had been expressed to them was when you do well, pleasure. When you don't, displeasure. Now listen, the point of that is not that we coddle or puff up or overlook sin, but what difference would it make for us in our homes if parents, our children knew experientially that our love was unconditional, if our spouses knew that regardless of experience, our love is unconditional. Hey, teens and children gathered, what if your parents knew your love for them was unconditional? And so God says to us, you're my son, you're my daughter, no matter what you do, that's who you are. That's what rings loudest to me. What if in our households, the same tenderness we receive from a heavenly father flowed out of us to those nearest to us? We have a daughter, Ellie, who is six and a half. If she were here, she would tell you, stressing that half very much. I was an elementary education major prior to pastoring, and so I, I read a lot of kids' books. I still do, just for my own enjoyment, not just to my children. Any of you who have small children or were school teachers, are school teachers, you might be familiar with Mercer Mayer and all his books. Well, one of them is The No Good, Terrible, Bad Day. Ellie was having a no good, terrible, bad day. Right to the very end. <laughs> and she's there in front of me and was just overwhelmed and in tears and were there some things that maybe could have been said? Perhaps. And I wish I got these moments more often, but by God's grace in that moment, I did. There seemed there was really only one thing needed that day, that evening as she went to bed. And that was to put her up on her bed and stand her up so that we had eye contact and say, Ellie, you know what? I love you. I'm so glad God gave you to mommy and me. And then we have this thing we do, huggy squeeze, which is when you squeeze so hard you get to the other side of the person. And at six and a half, she can, she can do it. And, and what we call a coffee kiss. I don't know why we call it, but we do, and you have weird things you do too. So 
A coffee kiss is when you smack lips and you just ah, as hard as you can. I know the day's coming where she won't want to do that in public anymore, but for now, <laughs> for now, she's one of my girlfriends and we do. And that's all that was needed. And the joy that flooded her little soul. Don't misunderstand, there's a time for correction. But there's just a time to quiet one with love. And that may be you this morning. How about in our relationships with others? Married or single, parent, child, friend to friend. What would it mean to rejoice over those we have the privilege to do life with? Not when they get it all together, but right where they are right now. What would that look like? I love how Randy Alcorn said it. He said, you know, there's much that's wrong with the world and much that's wrong with us. But Jesus is the carpenter from Nazareth. And carpenters not only create, they repair. I love that. What if we had that vision in our relationships with one another? I'm going to walk with you through thick and thin, big and small, up and down. And I'm going to rejoice over you along the way. See, the more we grasp being loved, the more we can love. The Lord rejoices over us with gladness and loud singing. Could I ask you to stand? Uh, I asked Keith about this, and listen, let me preface this with two things. I'm incredibly fearful right now. But more than that, even in just a weekend with you, even without having a chance to interact personally with each of you, I do love you. And that's weighing a little more heavily on my heart than my fear. My fear is this. As I was praying, I believe, and I say I believe because I may be wrong, but I believe the Lord gave me a number of impressions, ways in which I think for some people in particular, He wants to bring His love near, very, very near. And my fear is, well, these might be wrong, but you know, I'm going to take that risk. And I'm going to share these because I think it's a way God wants to come near. I, I think there are some couples here who are very aware this morning, even through the message, maybe even as something as recent as this weekend, where you've got a child whose wick is very close to being snuffed out. And you've recognized that in, in what has been a desire to help, perhaps you've actually been doing more blowing on that wick than helping that wick. Where you've been more critical than merciful. And I believe God's bringing this to your attention this morning, not to condemn you, but rather to overwhelm you afresh with the grace you've received so that in greater degrees that can be your paradigm for parenting. Your smoldering wick has always been protected by God. And you can be that protection for your son or daughter this morning. I, I believe the Lord would encourage you, yes, to repent, but to repent so that you can receive. I believe there are a few individuals here. Uh, it may not only be ladies, but some ladies in particular. It, it, it's two things. You've had an abusive past, but a recent conversion. Recent, within this past year or so. And there is so much pain in your past that you could choose to dwell there 
And in fact, that's been your battle, trying not to dwell there. Well, I think in a fresh and powerful way, the Lord wants to bring you into a new dwelling place, and that's His love. We sang in the opening song of the Father's love this morning. We sang about God's grace that colors our lives. But I think there are some here this morning who in a very prominent way, we can all struggle with this, but for you, this is acute right now. You've got seemingly only two colors that shape your understanding of God's love for you. The color of your performance and the color of your failures. And if you will, I think God wants to break those crayons this morning and give you one new one. And it's a crayon that only colors grace. I think there's some young and old men Young meaning teenagers, old meaning anybody else. <laughs> You've come with varying degrees of hardness of heart. Hardened by your perception of you, a perception of you that hasn't viewed yourself as particularly needy, as needy as you truly are, of the overwhelming grace of God. But I think something's been stirred in your heart in God's love today, that you want to know God this way. As a son loved dearly by a father. I think there's a, a teenager or a college-age young lady who recently you've been searching and looking and on the brink of making a decision to fill your thirst for love from a broken cistern that can hold no water. And you've got that longing because you've not known tender love in a deep, meaningful way from a male figure in your life. But you've been created with that thirst and you're trying to fill that thirst. Listen, young lady, there's nothing wrong with that thirst. It's just where you're going to go to get that thirst quenched. There's only one place and it's in the love of God. So turn from being on the precipice of a bad decision to embrace the love of God this morning. And there's one other set here. I apologize and yet I don't apologize for the sheer number of these. I think there's a category of people here that God wants to draw near in His love specifically through healing this morning. praying, I believe there's someone who's been experiencing recent chest pains. They started mild, but you've had some more intense ones, and you've been very fearful about it. In fact, you haven't even shared, with possibly the exception of with one person. I believe we're to pray for you. I think there are two or three ladies, perhaps young, and also this is hidden in your life from others, where you have an eating disorder. And I think God not only wants to give you the power to overcome that today, but he wants to overwhelm you with being accepted and beautiful in his sight just as you are. This one may not even be in the room. I believe there's a child who's recently been undergoing neurological tests, but they've not resulted in any increased clarity for you as a family. We could pray for this child. A couple trying to conceive so far unable to conceive, and for this lady, you are tempted to link what has been the inability to conceive with your past, like this is punishment for past failure. I think God wants to open your womb. 
And more importantly, perhaps, remind you, his love for you is not based on your performance. It's based on his. And finally, there's an individual with a skin disorder. And the best as I can discern it that I could describe it is it's like the inside of your skin is trying to stretch and get to the outside. And it's very painful and it comes in waves. And recently it's begun to set into your face as well. There's all my fear out there, friends. Here's what I want to ask with eyes closed, not for my benefit, but because I do believe God's love wants to come near. If any of the above speak to you, could you just slip your hand up right where you are right now? You could put that hand down. There's no power in the carpet up front here any different from where you are but I do think there's something in the seeking. Friends, why would God identify you this way but for his love this morning? I can't think of any other explanation. So could I invite you forward? And Keith, as you want to lead us in this. Now, I'm not going to come. I saw your hands. I won't come and get you if you choose not to come, but I just... I think there's something for you as you step out in faith this morning. And you might see this individual come. Maybe they're a friend, a family member. Let's give them a moment to come and give them a moment just to be with the Lord. But then come and join them. And let's pray together. Father in heaven, please take this feeble, probably too long attempt and have your way. Holy Spirit, come. Would you fill up this place and each heart here? Lord, even as levees are being filled around this city, oh God, would you fill hearts to overflowing? Would you save souls today in this room? Those who've had no idea what I'm talking about because they couldn't apart from Christ, would this be the day of salvation for them where they stop going to broken cisterns? And come to the only one that can give lasting water. And for every person who would respond in faith up front, would you, would you bring your love so very near? Would even, even your knowledge of these things in our lives, because I certainly don't know any of these things, but to the degree that they're accurate, they come from you, would it speak to these individuals of your deep, deep love? Grant them now the request of their heart, not because you owe it, not because we deserve it, but just because you delight to do it. We pray. Help us all as we sing in a moment. Help us to hear you sing over us. I think there's some folks who are needing to be prayed for, and then there's some folks who need to just come and receive from God. And I want to make room for those who need someone to join them in prayer, to be able to receive prayer, and to have a prayer of faith prayed over them, particularly the list at the end that Aaron went through, the healing issues, the specific issues that were addressed. Could, could I get you, if you're needing 
someone to lay their hands on you and pray for you in those regards. If you would be in the middle here, and if, if you're here and you're needing to receive from God, much of what was given out in the word and then encouraged by the prayer time is something you need to get some face time with God to receive. You don't necessarily need somebody to pray for you, uh, but you do need to respond. So I do want to invite you to come, particularly some of the parents that were here, I think, who heard a word earlier, just about learning to be a communicator of that sort of affection towards our children so that they get the understanding that we're not, we're not going to blow the wick out. We're there surrounding them. And maybe there's some breakthrough that needs to happen. Maybe there's some relationships that need to happen being restored this morning. Maybe some parents here need to take your son or daughter by the hand. Kneel down where you are and pray with them right there. Bring them up to one of the altar areas on the side here and just pray with them there. But go ahead and be, be free to respond as God is dealing with you. Come find a place. Make it a moment where God deposits something in your life. If you're needing prayer, though, can I ask the folks that are in the middle section here to be folks that are needing us to grab you by the hand, look you in the face, and specifically pray for you over something. So come join us up here. I'm going to ask the pastors if they would come join us. Some of the small group leaders, if you guys would come and minister to some of these folks as well. And Aaron, if you would come and allow the Lord to use you to minister to these folks who are coming needing specific prayer, that would be wonderfully helpful for them. Father, thank you for the presence of your spirit here this morning. Lord, thank you for gathering us to a place where you had every intention of being specific with needs that were in our lives so that we could receive grace and mercy to help in a time of need. Lord, this, this is your idea of a throne of grace right here this morning. So, Father, thank you that we are here and we're coming, Lord, by faith, Lord, not just to hear the word, but, Lord, to receive from you. And you've used the word this morning as a vehicle to open our hearts to you, to awaken faith in our hearts, Lord, to come believing that though we come with a familiar area of our lives, yet you can break in in an unfamiliar way. Lord, you can usher in a new day, starting right now, no matter how many days there has been in the past. So, Spirit of God, move in our midst. Open our lives to receive from you. Equip us to pray with power for one another. In Jesus' name. If you're not going to come pray for folks, would you just be praying that God would be moving in folks' lives? here and in just a moment Eric's going to lead us in worship and you can join in our honoring God in song but go ahead and come if you're needing prayer please go ahead and come
strength and soul, yet if my hope should ever fail, this wondrous love will never let me go.
I can't escape this river's glorious
ransomed and saved my soul. Jesus, your death and yours alone has canceled the debt that I owe. You satisfied the law's demand, and new life's been given to me. soundtrack that plays over us. God, the soundtrack reminding us over and over and over again of your love for us. God, thank you for redeeming us. Thank you that we can we can be your children. We can be in your family. God, thank you for your love, your unconditional love. <laughs> 